Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. If you're not familiar with Advent, it is a name traditionally given to the four Sundays before Christmas, and it's also the beginning of a new year on the church calendar. Today is the first of those four Sundays. We're calling our Advent sermon series, Christmas Has a Name, as you probably saw when you came online for the service. We'll be looking during Advent at the names given to Jesus whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. However, before I look at today's name, I want to talk just a bit about Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. The truth conveyed in Advent is that Jesus is the one who comes. It is his arrival that we celebrate in Advent and in Christmas. 2,000 years ago, Israel was waiting for a promised Messiah, one who would deliver them from foreign tyranny. John the Baptist, sitting in Herod's jail, sent this question to Jesus. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In this question, we feel Israel's longing for the coming Messiah. In our Advent worship, we too center our minds and hearts on Jesus as the coming one, whose arrival was promised by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 where we read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. During Advent, we worship Jesus, the one who came to us in the past at Bethlehem, the one who comes to us in the present through his Holy Spirit, and the one who will come again in future glory. We celebrate with profound joy the first coming of Jesus as he was born in the small village of Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. No matter how often we hear that story, we are moved. But our focus doesn't stop there. In Advent, we anticipate the second coming of Jesus, his second Advent. That is still in the future as we understand it. And for churches that lean toward a traditional liturgy, it is the focus of the lectionary readings on the first Sunday of Advent. Listen to the epistle reading for today. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 9. It refers to Christ's return to earth. I'll start with verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to the Gospel reading, Mark 13 also turns our attention towards Jesus' return or his second coming. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. 2020 is an Advent unlike any other for many of us. 
The virus and the restrictions that we are using to protect our communities from it can leave us weary and sad, worried, even depressed. We need a different focus to help us in these difficult days. And this is where the Sundays of Advent come to our aid, helping us to turn our thoughts away from what's happening now to the coming one. May we, as we sing carols at Christmas, truly celebrate the truth to these words. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. That phrase brings us back to the first Sunday of Advent. King is the name and title that we're going to be focusing on today. Jesus, in both his first and second Advents, is our king. We see this in the stories about Jesus' birth, his, his death, and his resurrection. Let's begin with the account of the Annunciation, the event recorded in Luke's Gospel, where the angel Gabriel announces to a young virgin that she will miraculously give birth to a son, saying, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Next, we see the use of this title, King, in the story of the three wise men found in Matthew's Gospel. Three magi from the east, probably what we would today call Iraq, show up in the palace of King Herod with one simple and direct question. Where is the one born King of the Jews? Then at the end of Jesus' public ministry, the title shows up in Jesus' trial before Pilate, who asked him, Are you the King of the Jews? And after giving up his efforts to set Jesus free, Pilate presented him to the angry mob, declaring, Behold, your King. And on the cross, where by law, the charges against Jesus had to be affixed, Pilate placed these words, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, Pilate's insight was true, but it fell far short of the reality of Jesus' kingship. For that, we looked at the book of Revelation, where we see who Jesus is and what he's doing. In Revelation 17, 14, we see threats against Jesus. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. And in Revelation 19.16 we read, On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our aim this morning, to gain a new vision of Jesus as our King, our King and the King over all kings, the King over all creation. Let's begin by thinking about what a king is. In nearly every language and culture, a king is one who rules with absolute power and absolute authority. The king is supreme, above all others with final authority over the affairs of the nation. Usually, the throne is hereditary. But for many of us, the idea of a king, in that sense, is uncomfortable, even offensive. We favor democracy and self-rule over kings, like the peasants in the movie The Holy Grail responding to Arthur, who presents himself as king of the Britons, saying, Who made you king? I grew up in a country that rebelled against this king. 
King George III. But it's not just feisty 18th century Americans who may struggle with the idea of a king. I remember teaching at a Navigator conference about 10 years ago where some African Christians were present, and they were uncomfortable with talking about Jesus as king. They had experienced some very bad kings. However, the Bible presents Jesus as our king with little regard to our feelings about whether or not we want someone in charge of us or not. Jesus is presented in the scriptures as king of our world and king of all that God has made. Now, personally, I recently experienced a new appreciation for the fact that Jesus is king. I carry two passports, as you know, when I travel, and while I have lived more than half my life in Canada, I still care about what goes on in the country of my birth. And I found this past election hard, less related to the choice between the two candidates, and more with the polarity and acrimony in that campaign. And as election day grew near, drew near, I, I took comfort in knowing that when I woke up on November 4, Jesus would still be king. It is helpful for us to remember and celebrate the reign of Christ. In fact, in many churches, that's what happened just last Sunday. For the last Sunday of the church year is called Christ the King Sunday. However, it's important that we do more than celebrate the fact that Jesus is king. We need to have our thinking and our lives reshaped by the reality that Jesus reigns supreme over earth and heaven. So let's consider what this means for us in 2020. First, it means that each one of us can choose to accept Jesus' position as king of our own life. Trusting him, we can give him our allegiance as Lord and sovereign over every part of our life. This is a truth expressed in an old hymn that begins with this bold declaration. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. To crown Jesus as king of your life is one of the best and wisest steps that any person can take. Choosing to live under the sovereignty of Christ our King with the attitude seen in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus is King, it is His will that matters, not mine. I have a cousin by marriage who this week returned home from a frightening time in the hospital. Uh, part of the, what brought her through this ordeal was her attitude, as I understand it to be reflected in her words. She said, I'm not the one in charge of the plans. That's an excellent way of looking at ourselves as subjects of the King of Earth and Heaven. We are not ultimately in charge of what's happening in our lives. And as I think about it, there's some comfort in that. For often, my trying to be in charge of things has led me to some difficult consequences. This is the first thing that kingship of Jesus means for us. We can choose to live under his sovereign rule trusting him to do what is best in every circumstances, in illness, unemployment, loss, or anything else that 2020 might be bringing to us or 2021. No matter what is happening, Jesus is still king. The second meaning will possibly feel a bit surprising. Jesus is our king, and the divine plan is that we might share in his reign. We need to look again to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. In this chapter, we're taken before the throne of God, and there we hear a song. Hear the words of that song. 
You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign upon the earth. What would it look like for us to reign on earth in service to God? If Jesus is our king, and we represent him on earth, we had better make sure that we know him and we understand our marching orders. The bottom line is this. Subject of a king need to behave in certain ways. The starting point as God's servant is to stay personally connected to God through scripture reading, prayer, and through acts of service to others. As we listen to God through the reading of his word, our hearts and minds are transformed by the Holy Spirit, enabling us to see our world with the mind of Christ. This will reshape the way that we talk about our world and those who profess to be in charge. It will also change the way we pray as we pray for them as we are instructed. We will be less, in, less inclined to abuse them on platforms like Facebook. Our co-regency, if you will call it that, comes through our witness as well, the testimony of our lives and the words that we speak. Consider first our lives. We know that as we give ourselves to Jesus, that his Holy Spirit is transforming us to change us. We're transformed into the likeness of our King, Jesus. This transformation begins to reshape us into what we were created to be originally. And as the people around us see these changes in us, they see the work that Jesus came to do. What this means is that God can use us to show others what he wants to accomplish in their lives. People see us living the way God wants his people to live, standing up for those who are denied justice, feeding the hungry, caring for those who cannot, who cannot care properly for themselves, will be attracted to him. This has been seen in the church's history of caring for widows and orphans, and in these days, the church is fighting against human trafficking. And with our words, we can add to that, articulating for our world the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Reigning with Christ by living lives transformed by the Holy Spirit and by tell others the good news of the gospel is the second meaning of the kingship of Jesus. The third thing it, it means is that we worship our king. Another wonderful hymn exhorts us with these words. O worship the King, all glorious above. O gratefully sing his power and his love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. And he Wright has this to say in his book, Simply Jesus. All kingdom work is rooted in worship, or to put it the other way around, Worshiping the God we see at work in Jesus is the most politically charged act we can ever perform. Christian worship declares that Jesus is Lord and that, therefore, by strong implication, nobody else is. In the days of the Roman Empire, worship was a political act. This is partly why the emperor tried to destroy the church. Declaring that Jesus is Lord and King was a political statement then, and we would do well to remember that it still is today. 
We do not ultimately put our trust in princes, as the psalmist says. Jesus is Lord and King, not those on earth who claim those titles. And that comes with both a reassurance and a warning. The reassurance is that even a bad king or leader doesn't change the fact of the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus. And the warning, even the right leader with policies we like will not ultimately bring in the kingdom, though working towards those ends is a good thing. But in the end, it is Jesus who brings his kingdom. He is the one we worship. He is the only one who can save us. One more thought about worship. Worship of Christ the King must involve the centrality of the cross. Remember with me Christ's temptation in the wilderness where Satan offered Jesus a shortcut to the world's throne. He said, again the devil, Matthew says, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, Satan said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus rejected that offer. He knew that in his path to becoming king, there stood a crown of thorns and a cross. He rejected the shortcut and took the difficult path. We must never lose the centrality of the cross in our worship. Our king suffered horribly for us and for our redemption. Our creator became our king not through a glorious ceremony, seated on a royal throne with a golden crown, but through a coronation of suffering, hanging on a cross, blood streaming on his brow from a diadem of thorns. Earlier in the sermon, I quoted the first line of an old hymn. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, and the rest of it, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Let us keep our focus on our King, who loved us enough to die for us as our substitute. Let, this, let me this time quote from a newer hymn. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear the mocking voice call out among the scoffers, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Truly, this King, Jesus, is deserving of our allegiance, our loyalty, our trust, and our service. How blessed we are that Jesus is our King. Let us pray. Lord, may we never forget what it cost you to be our King. May we never take it lightly, but may it become a foundation for our full acceptance of your sovereignty over us and our submission to your Lordship as your faithful servants. Amen.